Coming up on another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast, we've got a very special guest joining us. It'll be me and Ian Pulzinski, joined by Spirit FC head coach David Perkovich. Of course, his club, his team, promoted to the MPL New South Wales last season. They'll be featuring in it this season in 2023. And here at Front Page Football, getting our MPL content, I guess, uh, on the roll now with the season approaching. And uh, really, really good chat coming up with David, talking a bit about, um, of course, Spirit FC and, and their journey at the moment, his journey with them, uh, a bit of time that he had coaching in the Philippines as well. And uh, also really interesting getting a, a tactical insight from him into the way he sets up his teams to play, um, you know, the way he sees football being played and all this kind of other stuff as well. And uh, and just in general, talking about the NPL New South Wales, an expanded competition uh, heading into 2023 as well, which will be very interesting indeed. Um, as well, uh, we're also going to touch on some Australian football transfers that are happening. Of course, transfer window is open. At the time of this podcast uh, going up, Matt Ryan has now moved to AZ Alkmaar in the... Uh, Iridavisi in Holland. So uh, we actually spoke about about the move, but uh, that was before it was official. So keep that in mind. And then also Garang Quoll, who knows, by the time the pod goes up, that one could be done. Him moving to Hearts on loan from Newcastle as well. But uh, yeah, there's quite a few transfers that are, that are in the works at the moment that are pending uh, and very close to being done. And, and me and Ian Pulsinski had a bit of a chat about them and, and gave our kind of thoughts on them and, and, and some of the soccerers. Definitely the World Cup performance seems to be having a good and positive effect on some soccerers abroad and uh, and their careers, which is great. Also, at the bottom of this podcast in the description, go check out Front Page Football Socials on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and of course, our website as well, frontpagefootball.net. Also, if you're interested at all in getting involved in writing and social media even of Australian football and getting yourself into the game, then reach out to us as well uh, via the website frontpagefootball.net. You can hit up the Contact Us uh, page and uh, and let us know uh, why you're interested in, in, in getting involved because uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely a great uh, sport and uh, it's a great thing to be involved in in Australia, Australian football, and uh, definitely needs the coverage it can get. So, Without further ado, I'm your host, Christian Marchetti. Uh, Great podcast coming up. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast and tonight we're back with the special guests um, and we've been able to secure another one uh, leading in to 2023, another NPL season coming up, NPL New South Wales and a promoted side, newly promoted in Spirit FC and we're joined tonight by their head coach David Perkovich and he joins us uh, tonight. David Welcome to the show. Um, we're going to have a bit of a discussion with you about all things Spirit FC and, and your own um, journey as a manager, um, and of course, leading into this season uh, with promotion with your with your side. Um, welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined by Ian Pulzinski. Ian, how are you going? I'm doing well, thank you, Christian, and looking forward to our podcast. Thank you. All right. So. Um, David, uh, let's let's get it started then. Talk a little bit about uh, Spirit FC. Um, 
last year a terrific year um of course promotion in into the MPL which is a massive achievement um you had the Waratah Cup success of course as well uh defeating teams like Sydney United Wollongong Wolves uh, qualifying for the Australia Cup I mean how about you just I'll, I'll let you kind of go on a bit of a, a bit of a tangent here just just sum it up you know um because oh. it, it, it's a it's a pretty when you look back on it it's a pretty successful uh, year yeah look um uh it was a successful year it um some would say it was a long time coming i've been at the club for uh i've completed six seasons now so i'm going into my seventh so um by mpl coaching standards that's quite a fair time so um but yeah it's it's uh it's been a long journey because when i first arrived um to the club we didn't even have a home ground for a, a season and a half. Uh, our grounds was getting renovated from grass to a synthetic surface, so we got a nice training for well, nice facilities now to to train and play on with uh, two synthetic surfaces at our at our venue. Um, and we're getting a new administration building done now as well, so that's all nice for the players and and coaching staff to work. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, like I said, we had a year and a half with no home ground. Then obviously we had one full season at our home ground and then we had two you see two seasons impacted by covid um and then we had last season so um took a little bit of time to build um the squad um to get it to where we needed to be to compete um for for honors and um very happy with uh, the success of last season didn't start as well as uh, we would have liked we lost the first two games of the season um and so uh, to come back from that to to only lose one one game for the rest of the regular season was um, quite an achievement from from the players and and coaching staff alike. Yeah, and then of course you you make the Australia Cup, which is uh, a massive achievement for any NPL uh, or or lower league side, of course, in Australia. Um, and and you did of course lose in the in the round of thirty two, but to be broadcasted in you know, to a national audience. Um, and you just mentioned how the club's been, you know, working in the background, trying to get everything, you know, up to scratch in terms of playing services and things like that. And then to play on a national stage, I mean, to come full circle like that must've been pretty special. Yeah, it's it was a great experience um, for everybody to be involved in, uh, to get to the round of 32. And, you know, um, hopefully we can do it again um, this year. And uh, we've obviously learned a lot from that experience. I suppose the scheduling of the game was a bit difficult for us because, you know, three days later we had the Waratah Cup final. Um, so that was always going to be challenging. So I had to set some priorities, which one was a little bit more important. Um, and towards the end of the season, not all your players can play, you know, um, full 90 minutes in that three days apart. Um, so it was a long season. It's our first long season since obviously, you know, we've had COVID impacted. So, you know, you have to think about loads for the players over the course of the season. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's one of those things that you had to make some de- decisions on, on the day for the trip up because we, unfortunately we had to travel on the day that we actually played. So um, on the way to the game, uh, for myself, I was exhausted um, just on my way to the game and I was just thinking about the players and how they would be and then the surface was a bit deceiving for us as well because we don't play on much um, uh, grass pitches in in Sydney anymore. Uh, most of it's um, synthetic, um, and the surface looked great from from afar. But once that first layer was gone, um, quite a, chopped up quite a bit, and we're not kind of used to that. So we kind of lost a bit of footing on the day. But um, credit to um, the opposition; they played a really good game, and um, you know, and uh, won the game. So. 
then we just had to change our focus straight away to that cup final that was three days later yeah and you know yeah peninsula power as well they ended up uh losing to sydney united of course and you beat sydney united in the waratah cup so in in a weird way all three of the teams were kind of interlinked through that um through that period uh, but just on just on kind of when you travel up there and you know being as as a club which wasn't even in you know the the, the top division uh, yet yep. as well and then you've got players who I'm sure are working jobs and stuff as well how does you know as a manager how do you the environment how does it change how do you manage that I guess when you're going into such a highly anticipated kind of uh, game like that yeah look um it is difficult, you know. Uh, you have obviously players that you know work or study. Um, you know, everyone obviously got the time off to um, be a part of that journey, so that was um, fantastic for their for their um, bosses to be able to give them that time off because we obviously played midweek. You know, um, the draw um, put us on a midweek game up in Queensland. So, look. It was a great, like I said, it was a great experience. The players loved having an away trip because it's um, quite a, you know, uh, quite an experience to get on a plane to go play a game of football, which was um, fantastic for them. Um, and yeah, look, logistically, it was, you know, there was a lot of planning to take place. Luckily for me, I've had a little bit of experience with traveling um, with football teams. So I, I knew the things to look out for, making sure that everything was um, in order. Um, but even like, for example, the hotel that we um, had to kind of stay at because of the affiliation with um, Football Australia was, you know, 45 minutes away from the from 45 minutes to an hour away from the playing surface, which then adds to the travel as well. So it, it, there was a lot of challenges. Um, what would we do differently next time? We definitely would try to um, fork out the money to um, go up the day early. So we're waking up the day of the game and be a lot fresher for, for, for the actual match. And I think that would give us a, a better chance. Um, but like I said before, Peninsula Power had a great game and yeah, put the sword to us when, when it was available to them. And um, David, you spoke about challenges, obviously, that season, you know, the Australia Cup one. But you mentioned early on, 2020, uh, the, the COVID, sorry, COVID situation hits the NPL New South Wales circles. And 2020, I guess the season was just, you know, a few games. 2021, the season got canned. Um, how big of a challenge was it to to you um, for the playing squad to retain them? How how challenging was that time? Obviously, you spend time in the Philippines, spend time around NPL level, like other clubs. But during that COVID period, 2020, 2021, how challenging was it for you personally with the playing group? Um, look, you know, um, we had no choice in the matter, obviously. Um, you know, it, it was a new experience for everybody. Um uh, um, alike world, worldwide, I guess, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in football or not. It was a new experience for everyone to live through those times. Um, look, it, it, it was challenging uh, for sure, but, you know, I suppose, you know, the club has always had their eye on promotion for a while. So the dangling of that carrot to come out of this cycle, you know, the first season we'll just say, all right, it'll be next season. The second season was even more difficult. Um you know, because then it's three years from when you were genuinely trying to push um, for a promotion to get into that top level of the state. Um, but, yeah, look, uh, the play, 
I've got great staff that help me out a lot as well. So, uh, and the club is very supportive as well. So, uh, the players' uh, mindsets were really good. Um, we had, you know, regular meetings when we were in lockdown with the players. Zooms um, obviously became very, very popular in uh, for everyone. So it was no different for our club. So. Um, we got on the chat and then just regular conversations with individuals as well to make sure that their you know our mental health was in check as well and then uh, to be fair our our players are very professional we've got um you know gps and we've got smarter base that measures loads and things like that throughout the times that we thought the season was going to um come back and fight for promotion um they you know put on their GPS, we could manage it remotely. Um, they'll just upload the data themselves. So they'll we're probably one of the fittest teams coming back to when when we came back to play. Um, so in terms of that professionalism, we pride ourselves on that. So uh, we try to be the most professional, semi-professional club in Australia. Yeah, and um, of course, that's all been and done now um and i think <laughs> i think for all of us uh, we're, we're pretty happy that it is been and done um <laughs> and now you're heading into the mpl uh the top division in 2023 i mean how how are you thinking now about how you're going to approach the season um being you know one of the new boys on the block it's an expanded of course league as well um <laughs> you know uh how how are you kind of feeling about approaching uh the season coming up yeah look um coaching staff and I plan a lot um you know most of our work is done off the pitch to be fair you know uh when, when you go on the pitch that's just putting you know the icing on the cake for us uh, if you do the work off the pitch then the stuff on the pitch during the week makes it a lot easier um so yeah so we we do a lot of planning in terms of our scheduling and uh, when we're doing our cycles um uh, so we've got some ideas on how to approach the longer season that's going to be new to um to all of us um so uh, I feel that we'll be well prepared for it. Um, we have a clear identity on how we play, um, so that won't change. Um, it, it, you know, got us our success in getting to the league, and obviously, as you mentioned earlier, we beat Wollongong Wolves and Sydney United to get to win the Waratah Cup, and we played with our identity in those games as well. So um, that won't change. Obviously, we'll just try to perfect it and get it. We've obviously strengthened the squad um, a little bit as well. We've got eight new players coming into the squad. So, um, yeah, the balance is quite good. Uh, unfortunately, we've already had a setback. Our captain did his ACL in preseason, um, so he's out for the season. So um, that was that was disappointing to um, to for that to eventuate. But um, I, how we've hoped since in preseason has been impressive. And um, speaking about new addition to the squad, I think you can add that Jared Lum. He's a player that's come from uh, Hong Kong. He's had numerous amount of years in Hong Kong. How's he looking back into Australia? How's he looking? Is he into shape? Is, is he someone that you want to use in your games uh, quite regularly? Yeah, look, um, I have a, a, a unique playing style where um, I invert uh, one of my fullbacks permanently when we have the ball. So it creates a double pivot. Um, so, uh, you know, he, he will play um, that role for us Um, um that's the position he's fighting for to play. And in preseason, he's adapted to that role quite well. He's quite excited to play a new role because he's normally a midfielder. Um, I played um, uh, Brian Jamber and Corey Kavanagh, who's still with us as well in those roles last year. And all of them had midfielder traits um, to play that role. And you need to be to be able to execute that role well with in possession. Um, but it's given him a new lease on life. 
in terms of uh, a new added focus. It gives him something to research in terms of how to defend out wide as opposed to being centrally. Um, and then when he comes in as a double pivot, he's, it's just natural for him. So um, whilst in Hong Kong, he played obviously there for seven years. He played multiple roles. He even played off the striker, played as an attacking midfielder as well as a holding midfielder. But um, he's a very intelligent footballer, quite technical as well, a very technical player. Um, obviously, you know, uh, represented the, uh, the AIS as well um, and to uh, captained uh, an MPL side before he left as well in Marconi Stallions. So he's very experienced and bringing a lot, a lot to the dressing room as well. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't actually expecting to uh, get too much into tactical stuff. Um, and and I, I'm a big fan of kind of uh, the, you know, more detailed nuances. And then you mentioned that you invert your fullbacks and that was kind of that kind of ding something in my head so that was uh, yeah. that was really interesting um just, i don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit more about that but i'm happy to talk about it. it's fine yeah because yeah. obviously we know uh to, to use a a massive example pep guardiola is very very kind of famous for that um with mm. the inverted fullbacks even melbourne city in recent years for an australian example uh, do that quite well um what what kind of inspired you to make a move like that particularly at an npl level because that is probably a Probably more of a bold strategy, uh, potentially amongst well, most teams. You're right in saying it was a bold strategy, and I came to that realization in preseason last year when uh, I implemented it. Um, I did it a little bit differently to how most teams do it. Um, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City does it the way I do it of recent with that young Lewis um, that's been coming into Rico midfield. Lewis, yeah. so, Instead of Cancelo drifting in and out, um, Lewis is permanently inside with when when they have possession. That's how I play um, the inverted fullback role. Um, and yeah, look, it's it's um, I, I like to dominate the ball. I like to be in control of the game. Um, so if I have the ball, I know the opposition can't score. I'm kind of that sort of person, um, and I like to you know not be reactive to what the opposition does. I like to um, imp- implement our style of play onto the game and have let us be the dictators of the game, whether we're going to win or lose it. Um, so, so yeah, it kind of stems from, you know, uh, I, I was obviously a, a Barcelona supporter when I was a child, when Romario and Stoichkov was playing. So I uh, followed them f- through my adolescent years. And, um, and when Pep Guardiola started off with Barcelona, he inspired me with those wing backs at the time. And, um, yeah, I just I, I kind of got caught out with overlapping wing backs in transition quite a bit in my early stages of my uh, football coaching in first grade. Um, so I thought um, of a way to still overload in central areas without um, too many moving parts from my attacking shape to my defensive shape. Um, so the the fullback is only has to join back to the back four, and then we got a our defensive straight without anyone you know just getting more compact. So. Uh, no one has to make a 30, 40 meter run to get back into their position in the way we play now. So, um, it, it, look, it, to be honest, a lot of teams find it difficult for uh, to defend against us. Um, if they sit behind the ball, then we just we dominate the game, and then we try to just create openings where we where we where we can. We try to move the opponent as much as possible with our ball movement. Um, and then when teams press us, that's when it can start be challenging, I suppose. And you know, I think that Sydney United game in that Waratah Cup final signified exactly how it is for us. First half, we completely dominated um, the, the half in possession and in chances. 
And then second half, they just they had nothing to lose, I guess. So they came out at us and it made it a little bit more difficult. Um, and we had to be a little bit more direct at times. But I always uh, ask my players to identify which way is the best way to play, um, get through them, around them or over them. And you decide within our structures which one's the best solution. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I guess, did you, did you find with that sort of style that it takes a bit longer maybe with with the with the group of players that you're working with to to get that up to speed and to get it working in in a really fluid kind of manner game to game yeah look um throughout preseason last season um you know it, it took a little bit of time for the team to adapt to it um one of my most experienced players louis bazanich um uh, who's his brother plays for western sydney wanderers he he came up to me before after round two when we lost the first two. He goes, you know, this is the most challenging thing that you've ever asked us. You know, it's such a critical year. It's quite ballsy of you. I yeah. said, look, I think if we get it right, it'll, it'll be very very hard to beat. So yeah. um, we stuck with it. I really believe in in the way we play. So um, you know, we managed to win that third game, which, funnily enough, we went down to ten men and we still won it. So. Um, so, yeah, that was quite a turning point for us in our confidence of the way we play because we still dominated the ball with 10 men. Um, so, yeah, so it, it was – the team is fully on board. Um, the new players are adapting really well. Um, our recruitment policy at the club is, you know, we try to identify um, players for our system as opposed to just signing good players. Um, you know, there's many good players out there, but not not all of them will be good players in our environment. Um, so we try to target the right players that will execute um, well in within our positional play. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it did take a bit of time to get it uh, down pat, but I've been here six years, so it's, it's been long enough to get it right. And, David, you spoke about your new signings and whatnot, um, the playing group. Can you just, for those that don't really know much about Spirit FC or NPL New South Wales uh, football, can you just describe the playing group? Is it a mix of young? Is it a lot of experience? What is the playing group like, um, yeah, in terms of, you know, the age and um, the experience? Yeah, look, um, we've only got three players that's uh, in their early 30s um, in, in the squad. The rest of them are mid early to mid-20s. Um, we've even got our youngest players um, turning 19 this year. Um, he's a young centre-back that uh, I think is uh, going to be a good prospect. Um, you know, if he keeps developing at the rate that he is, there's no doubt that in my mind that he could potentially play um, A-League one day. Um, but that's up to him if he keeps um, working hard. But, yeah, he's uh, we've got a kind of... I suppose it's our average age would be around our mid twenties. Um, so um, there's enough balance there to have enough experience there to for um, to guide the young ones as well. So it's all about getting that balance right. And it, it's come up a couple of times in in our previous, I guess, uh, line of questioning. But um, your time in the Philippines is is really interesting, I think, and also uh, at Kaya FC um, there in, in the Philippines. And it's interesting because I was having a look uh today and you actually had a pretty decent record um there in the philippines um and we also had another aussie coach in, in graham harvey uh who's now with the with the brisbane raw who uh of course was was working there for a period too um just just kind of give a little bit of a background on on maybe how that move came about um how how it went how how you know how you found it yeah look um uh i was coaching uh for 
four or five years um, leading up to getting an NPO job with Fraser Park. Uh, I took over that job um, mid-season as they were struggling and trying to avoid relegation. Um, we managed to avoid relegation that season. Um, and uh, uh, I had uh, three Japanese boys playing in that team. Um, and uh, one of them, none of them spoke hardly any English, to be honest, at the time. But um, one of them, a couple a year and a bit later, uh, ended up messaging me on uh, Messenger on Facebook and um, asking me if I was interested in coaching in the Philippines. And I was um, obviously interested in the opportunity. I see myself as a Cree coach. So, um, uh, so yeah, I wanted to know more about the opportunity. Um, so I sent off my resume to um, the general manager and team manager. And, um, yeah, from there it was pretty quick. Um, from that first um, yeah, Skype um, interview, two weeks later I landed there because it was, it was mid-season there too. They traditionally uh they're one of the most supported clubs in in the philippines um and uh, they didn't have a great start to the season um they lost two drawn one and won one um coach apparently lost the dressing room and um resigned so i arrived um in round six and um it was it was a great experience because and I'm very thankful for that um, opportunity because not only it gave me a bit of exposure to, you know, full-time football and professional football, um, it allowed me the time to develop my philosophy on football, uh, which is very difficult to do when, when you have a career outside of football as well. Uh, when you're working a, a nine-to-five job and then you're training at night, there's not a lot of room to, you know, put the finer details into a document, so to speak. So I use that time to develop my philosophy um, as well. Um, so I'm very thankful for that uh, opportunity. And it was a great experience. There was a lot of great foreigners there. Um, Filipino culture is, you know, there's Filipinos all around the world. So, um, you know, a lot of my team wasn't necessarily born in the Philippines. Um, there were half Filipinos from, you name it, Netherlands, England, Germany, Austria, um, all around the place, and then we had some locals as well, which was which was great to develop the the game in in their own country. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a great opportunity for me to you know work with professional athletes as well. So these guys were very very fit. Um, and back when I first went, the MPL wasn't what the MPL is now as well. Um, so it's for me, it's come a long way um, in terms of fitness-wise. Um, so, yeah, it was a great opportunity. I learned a lot. Um, as you mentioned, I had a decent record there, which was which was great. Um, decided to come home for family reasons. Wanted to start a family of my own and wanted my kids to be born in Australia. So I decided to come home at that point. I'm still in touch with um, Kaya. Uh, when they came out here for the Champions League qualifier, met up with them and tried to help them out with training venues and everything else like that So, awesome. as well because Harvey was working for him at the time as well. Mm. And one of my former players um, who um, was a QAS and Joey's player a long time ago, Richard Greaves up in Queensland, um, he was assistant coach for, that, um, for those fixtures as well. So it was um, really good to try and help him out as much as I could. And um, David, just quickly, because we at Front Page Football, we focus a lot on Aussies abroad, and we do a lot of interviews with uh, players that play uh, that do their trade uh, overseas. And one question I always ask um, players that have been in other countries or have experienced, you know, different leagues and different football is, um, 
how is football perceived in different countries? So, for example, like in your example, sorry, how is football perceived in the Philippines? Is this a sport number one? Is this on the back page of the newspaper? Is it popular? How, what's football or how is football, sorry, perceived in the Philippines? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, it, it's an interesting um, uh, culture there in terms of their sporting culture. Um uh, obviously, a bit of history on the Philippines. Um, they had that Spanish influence a long time ago, but they also had that American influence as well with the mm. naval ships there. So um, the number one sport there by far is basketball. Um, they're mm. quite big in volleyball as well. Um, football should be probably their number one sport because they're not the tallest people, most <laughs> of them. Um, so they'd probably be better suited athletically um, to football. Um, but... Um, whilst they don't have the numbers of the basketball or the uh, financial resources of basketball either as well, um, you know, uh, the small supported um, groups that do support it at that time was really great. We had small stadiums, but they were often full, um, especially for the derby matches um, and created a great atmosphere while I was there. Um, I've heard it's not as well supported now. Um, we're going through a bit of a transition period after COVID, obviously, as well. So, you know, those Southeast Asian countries have had some troubles with um, COVID um, and, you know, they've had hard lockdowns as well, so harder than ours. Um, so, so yeah, so they're in a real building phase, those leagues, um, but it's it's a really good developmental league Um for, for players, a um, number of my players that I've coached has gone on to, you know, tie league and different sorts of leagues that's a bit more um, reputable in terms of the play, uh, not only financially, but in terms of um, um, the quality as well. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, th those games where you play those derby matches and you had a sellout crowd, that was quite exciting. And also, um, you know, Southeast Asia is a very competitive region in terms of football as you can see i think the suzuki cup or what used to be called the suzuki cup is now on you see packed out stadiums in malaysia um how does the philippines rank in terms of southeast asia uh, because you know obviously you got maybe thailand at the top but how is the philippines getting there in that stage from your experience like could you see the development i know you said sorry that they had probably because of covid and everything but mm. did you see like, did, did you see anything that gave it away that they're getting on the rise and it's getting more popular? Or was it a bit still, hey, you know, in, in terms of, like, the professionalism and... Yeah, you know, look, I mean? um, um, it's it's interesting because um, uh, a lot of the, you know, the people that um, I still talk to uh, that's over there and a lot of former players still think that the time that I spent there was the best time in Filipino league football. Um, in terms of the quality, uh, hasn't it hasn't come back to those heights as yet? Um, but but yeah, look, it's um, you know they've had success before previously in the Suzuki Cup. Um, a lot of my former players played and was responsible for those that success as well. So um, you know it, it and I think um, uh, Alan Stadich is going through this the same uh, predicament with the the women's team there as well where. He has to kind of find um, those half Filipinos to strengthen up their squad, um, to bolster their squad, um, to get the, enough quality in there. Um, it, it, it is a difficult environment to um, develop players. There's very little um, uh, resources there in terms of field availability and, and things like that. Um, there's not a lot of street football in, in Manila. A lot of the 
uh, regions have a lot of street football and that's where most of the local talent comes from. So one of the first tasks that I had was when I was there is I, I went to um, Mindanao, which is um, <laughs> probably the most dangerous part of uh, the Philippines because um, they've got that, um, you know, almost like civil war type thing with um the Christians and the Muslims of the area uh, often battle it out there. But um, I did a trip out there with my um, club team general manager to look at a, um, a local tournament there to see what talent we could bring across. Um, and we found a striker that ended up um, uh, representing the national team. So um, when you find those little, um, you know, diamonds in the rough, it's quite, quite satisfying. And you mentioned um, Alan Stajic there. Is he someone that you're, that you talked to that you're close with and did he ask you about um the the philippines woman's job when when you know when he was potentially applying for it or thinking about it yeah i've never met um alan myself but okay. his uh, assistant coach noel arate we're not too oh, yeah. dissimilar in age he's only slightly older than me um and we're both from western sydney so um yeah I, um i often speak to uh message noel to, after their success um they, they're doing a really good job out there for the women's football. Um, and um, hopefully they do um, really well in next year's World Cup. So we, I definitely wish them all the best with that. Um, but it seems like they're doing a great job. There's a lot of buzz around that t- around that women's team for the next year's World Cup. And, and getting back to uh, the NPL season, um, there's, there seems to be a, a lot more buzz I guess around around the NPL seasons, I feel in in definitely I feel from my perspective around Australia heading into this year, and there's of course always the talk around the national second division lingering in the background. That's that's probably driving that as well. Um, we've got an expanded league in New South Wales this year, sixteen teams, which is going to be uh, very interesting, and you've got four A League academy sides actually in there as well, um, which which probably gives it another interesting uh, angle too. So. Um, what what are your thoughts heading into the season? I guess just looking comp wide, um, you know, a- analyzing it, um, and and yeah, I guess looking as well at those those academy teams as well because you would have faced, of course, the the Wanderers and and the Mariners uh, academy sides last year. Yeah, um, look, it's always hard to uh, analyze the 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 A League youth sides um, because um, there's a lot of turnover uh, yeah. in those teams. Um, Especially with um, Wanderers and um, Central Coast, their coaching staff has changed as well. Um, so yeah, it's 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 difficult to see. And then every week to week, it can be different as well. Depends on how many players um, they uh, hand down from the A League squad that's age eligible to play in those uh, in those games. So you know, there are things that you kind of analyze the week leading up and seeing what, when does the A League team play, what type of uh, what players are going to come down and play, but kind of we've, we've been always, you know, um, you know, focused on ourselves more so than worrying about who can play where from the opposition, um, what we can control. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll do. Um, we'll obviously prepare our sides as best as we can for the opposition that we're playing against. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's, it is an exciting year um, for MPLs in particular, New South Wales with the change of the structures of the league um, 30 games season, um, which is exciting. Um, I would regard it as real football, no no finals football. Um, first one past the post takes the championship. Uh, I'm, I'm a traditionalist in that way. I, I, I like football to be won over the course of a season instead of on the day. 
Um, so yeah, that's really exciting. It's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it's going to be exciting because, you know, there's four new teams in there and there's a lot of change within the, the existing teams as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how the traditional clubs, um, you know, uh, stack up against the new ones coming up. And, you know, obviously for us coming up, we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain from the experience. We're not, uh, there's no, you know, heavy, um, you know, expectations on us. Or, uh, although that, you know, winning the Warwick Heart, uh, Cup kind of gives us, uh, puts us on the radar a little bit that we are capable, um, and which is nice. Yeah. Uh, don't want to always be regarded as the underdog, but um, by being a promoted side, yes, as there is a degree of that as well. So um, we'll just take it week by week, you know, old cliche and, and um, prepare ourselves the best for the opposition that we're coming up against. Did you find that, maybe the perception in, in New South Wales football circles changed after you won that uh, Waratah Cup and, and that, you know, you made the Australia Cup. Did maybe the perception around your team, teams didn't look so much as, you know, look at you so much as as a second division team, but maybe already started to think, well, these guys are, are basically out of, out of top division quality anyway? Yeah, look, um, you know, there's been, obviously with COVID, um, there's been no promotion and relegation for a couple of years. Um and um, off the evidence of last season, you know, you had two MPL2 teams that qualified for the Waratah, uh, for the round of 32, as well as uh, a local side as well. So um, there's definitely um, some feeling towards the leagues that, you know, there's definitely some tier two, uh, which we were le- level teams that are more than capable um, of, you know, competing in, in the top level. Um, obviously that was, Maybe not so much highlighted to, in getting to the round of 32, but um, although, albeit that we did beat Wollongong Wolves uh, on penalties to get there. Um, but, you know, definitely winning that Waratah Cup, um, I think um, definitely changed the perspective of um, some of the teams, uh, some of the fans, I suppose, uh, in the way they look at, you know, the traditional clubs versus the non-traditional clubs. You know, Sydney United was huge, you know, um, history on what they've done for the game in Australia and, you know, and that can't be um, neglected or forgotten about at all. Um, but, you know, clubs like us, that's kind of, you know, re-earthed um, from, you know, the old Northern spirit days. Um, we, we started, you know, make ourselves known as well. And um, David, just last one for me. I mean, you spoke earlier before you came to the Philippines that the NPL was still in its like, you know, baby steps. Wasn't that really, that semi-professional as it is today. Um, have you personally seen the tactical side of MPL change in New South Wales? Have you seen the development go up? Have you have you been impressed with um how the MPL uh, level football is in, uh, getting better, like in New South Wales? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, um, it's going to be really interesting for me this year, you know, because obviously looking from afar into the top level, um looking at the way the games were played. Um, I, th- I, f- I feel like, um, you know, uh, some of the clubs, you know, uh, rely on individuals per se as rather than looking at things tactically. Um, but, you know, I, I feel I felt that MPL2 um, had uh, so the teams were a little bit more courageous in, in terms of their playing styles and, we're a little bit more open um, to take the game to the opposition. I feel like um, 
you know, some of the MPL top tier games, you know, no one really wanted to open up to go win the game. They'd more um, try not to lose it and try to get something on the break, so to speak. So I, I think that's going to change a lot this season, um, personally. Um, we had a trial match against Sutherland Sharks and I was really impressed with um, the tactical approach that they took to the game. Um, obviously, we had no preparation against them, which is Un, not usual for us in in season, but in a preseason game it didn't matter as much. But um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. They kind of replicate, um, you know, try to overload the midfield like we did. So for me, in approach to that particular game in the season is going to be really exciting for me to uh, work out how do I how can I nullify um, their tactical strengths and uh, expose their weaknesses, and that, no doubt will do the same to me. Whereas uh, I think. Um, a lot of teams still um, take every game as the same way and don't look at the nuances that each individual team does. Um, we like to think of ourselves as very well prepared uh, for the opposition that we play against. We don't only look at the individuals that can make moments happen, but um, how how do we take those take those players away from the game, so to speak? And Ian's uh, told me off air that. Your home ground is is well known for being quite a difficult uh, assignment, um, and he's, yeah. he's also said that the the weather and the conditions play a massive part in that. So I guess are you going to be leaning pretty heavily on that home form uh, this year? Yeah, look, it's um, yeah, not a lot of t- teams like coming to Christie Park. <laughs> um, some of the journalists in MPL um, has rebranded our Christie Park to the Arctic Circle. We have our own weather, <laughs> weather cycle here. Um, and it's true. Look, I'll be honest with you, the in the the game before we finished up pre-Christmas, um, it, we had people in uh, puffer jackets on the sidelines <laughs> in the middle of summer. Um, so it, it is a little bit unique um, where, where we're situated. Um, look, we we love our ground. Um, you know, it's uh, I suppose that old cliche saying, "Can you win a cold, wet night in Stoke?" It's a little <laughs> bit like that at Christie Park, to be honest. Um, but um, but yeah, look, yeah, not many teams that would like coming to you, but we're going to have brand new uh, facility in terms of that administration building and dressing rooms and everything else like that. So the opposition will be well looked after. But once we go onto that pitch, cross that white line, it's you know, all bets are off at that point. So. So um, the conditions can get a bit windier here because uh, we're on the t- top of a hill, so to speak, and um, can get a bit cold and rainy as well. So, so yeah, we, we definitely are used to it and teams don't tend to like it. But um, but our away record actually was better than our home record last season. So, um, so yeah, so I think um, it, a bit of a much-for-muchness in, in a sense. Yeah, I did see that in, uh, and, in an um, article. David- yeah, so. Oh, sorry. Um, what is it? My last question, sorry, uh, to yep. you, David, was I was just going to ask, like, because I'm not a tactical genius like you, Pep or Christian here, but um, <laughs> I was just going to ask, uh, <laughs> how hard is it? Because I, I have this conversation with my dad about astro pitches and real grass pitches. I mean, for someone like you who has a tactical approach on how you want to play, is there a big difference in terms of like the style of football you want to play depending on the surface of the of the pitch? Like, for example, do you find your style to be better on a astro pitch or do you struggle to make that in on a real grass pitch is is that sort of something that takes that has an effect for you yeah look um to be honest it it's there is a difference between like a synthetic pitch and a good grass pitch um 
but the difference is not really that significant in terms of our style of play. The problem becomes because uh, the issue becomes with um, grass pitches is that, you know, in the middle of winter, you have all of your youth playing there. Everyone trains on it during the week. The grass just disintegrates and it becomes, you know, um, a short passing game is it virtually becomes impossible on a grass pitch when you have a lot of traffic on you on, on those fields. Um, so for us in particular, who we, you know, there's a lot of traffic on our, uh, on our ground. Synthetic is essential to, to, to our playing style. But if you have the luxuries of some of these other clubs, like I think Marconi only train on their actual pitch once a week and no one else touches it. If you can keep your grass pitch um, in pristine condition, that is obviously optimal because obviously one, you know, reduces the risk of injuries by not playing on synthetic. You know, your, your, your ACLs injuries have skyrocketed since synthetic comes on, comes into play. Obviously, the new, newer surfaces, ours is only four years old. Um, it's a lot better than, um, you know, the original synthetic surfaces. Um but um, yeah, it's, it still does. Yeah. Black cat spike. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, uh, look, there's there's a couple around that's um, that's a little bit, you know, um, definitely yeah. due for a resurface. Um, but yeah, so uh, in terms of our playing style, it it does help us. But like I said, you know, if you've if you've got a grass, nothing is better than a a, a good grass pitch. That's for sure. And I. Just just last one from me. You had a great year, of course, last year. Um, you've you've been in the Philippines, uh, and and you, you did well over there. Have you got aspirations to to go on to bigger and better things, potentially into an A League role, something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, if I ever get the opportunity to um, coach professionally again, um, you know, it will be a fantastic thing. Look, for me, I I live and breathe football. Um. Pretty much everything else comes second to football for me, um, outside of my family. But um, but yeah, look, yeah, I would love the opportunity to crack it, uh, to compete at the highest level in the country. Um, it would be a very special thing. It, whether that be, you know, um, I don't think I would be um, a great assistant coach to most coaches, but for someone that I can, um, you know, um, offer a point of difference um, to the team. Um, someone I can connect with. There's a possibility that I'll potentially do that, but I think uh, I'm, you know, I've been a head coach for a very, very long time, so um, I, I think I'm best suited to those roles. Um, that doesn't mean I can't do something else, but um, the I wouldn't just say yes to an opportunity or have to be the right opportunity for me to jump at it. Um, but yeah, it's, to compete as a head coach at that level would be uh, um, would be a great op you know, a great opportunity for me to test myself at the highest level. I think I definitely can do the the job. Um, I have a lot of confidence in my ability to um, lead a team um, from a tactical, psychological um, and physical um, perspective, uh, which all becomes very, very important when you're um, leading a professional side. And, you know, um, I've had great a great club to practice at in Spirit FC. They've allowed me to build um build the staff how i wanted to do it um how i manage uh the staff how i manage the players um it's it's right at its pinnacle now how we've got it working so it's as close you could to as you could get to a professional setup um without training every day 
you know, I've had some um, staff members that's gone on to be involved with aided clubs, and some of them said we're even more professional than them. So, in terms of our in terms of our preparation, in terms of our approach to everything, um, in terms of our professionalism of how we um, look after our players too. So, um, so we take pro- great pride in that. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, uh, we we have aspirations to be the best um, semi professional club in Australia. Um, and what we provide our players is a great a stepping point for them to become professional um, as we feel that we're the closest thing to it. And actually, that just brought something up. How how much of a say, I guess, do you have in the the junior setup at the club and, and what's being done there to, to develop players coming through into the first team? Yeah, um, really good question. Um, so my second season here, um, the, the club appointed Tim Thorne, who's been involved with A-League clubs uh, previously in terms of the administration of A-League clubs. He, he's come on as a head of football. So he runs pretty much everything. Um, he's got a dual role. He looks after the association as well as um, uh, spirit women's and spirit men's up until the 18s and then first grade and reserve grade I look after. Um, but we have a great relationship. Um, we have, you know, what he's achieved in his role uh, from a governance perspective in terms of how we, in professionalism of our of our youth is uh has come a very very long way um we're still yet to see the fruit um complete a fruit from all that hard work um we expect that to happen either this year or next year um but yeah there's a lot of hard work that's been put in and there's no doubt that um the will bear fruit from that so an example of that that you know i've pulled a player out of our 18s to come straight into our first grade squad um uh so, you know, when when you know we're not hugely financial resourced in the sense of what we pay our players compared to some of the other clubs. Um, uh, so what we try to do is try to build the pathway as best as we can uh, for our local players. Um, but we also try to you know um, challenge them by bringing people outside in a first grade environment to make sure that the levels at a at a point where these guys can then t- step up. So. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 really good. Um, we get along really well. Um, we developed the club's philosophy together. It started with mine, and then it developed with all the coaches. We all came in and did a um, you know a couple of day, well, couple of days over a number of weeks. We even brought Ron Smith in, who's the um, advisor for the uh, Football Australia, to um, help us on that journey of doing the club's philosophy. Um, it's it's a 73-page document that we have that we look at at the end of every season to improve it. Um, and, yeah, it's it's really good to have that document in place so you have something to refer to for our coaches, um, especially our uh, younger ones or the uh, more inexperienced ones that's beginning their journey. Um, they have a reference point and there's a lot of experience within the club that um, those coaches can um, lean upon as well for guidance and advice. Um so yeah, it's it's a really healthy environment and one that I'm I really enjoy. Yeah, it sounds sounds terrific. Um, and I think 
I think uh, I said to you that we'd only have you on for about 20 or 30 minutes, but um, we're, we're about, you know, as per usual on this podcast, it's about 45 minutes later. So um, it, it is getting late where you are. So uh, we're, we'll let you we'll let you go. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll have you on a podcast again just to solely talk about inverted fullbacks. That would be, uh, that would be um, very interesting. Yeah, a lot, as soon as you mention the word tactical, my ears spring up. Um, yeah. uh, I, I see football as like human chess. So yeah. I, I love that component of the game. Absolutely. All right. Um, pleasure to have you on, David. Um, and good luck, of course, with the season with Spirit FC. Uh, we'll be taking, uh, yeah, definitely keeping a close eye on it. Um, I know Ian for sure where he is will definitely be uh, be keeping a close eye on the NPL New South Wales this season. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look a little bit at the January transfer window and some of the Australians that are on the move at the moment. Okay, Ian, so the January transfer window is open and there's already been, and maybe it's because the Socceroos performed really well at the World Cup and and this is the you know the aftermath of that, but there's been quite a lot of rumours, quite a lot of news surrounding Australians on the move over in Europe in particular. Um, and we're going to kind of just go through and do a quick recap of about the five, six or so players, the main ones that have that have been linked or have already moved to clubs um, or to, to different clubs overseas. Uh, there's definitely been some interesting ones. Let's start with um, Matt Ryan because um, he has been heavily linked now with AZ Alkmaar in, in the Eredivisie in Holland. And um, yeah, I think, I think we can all probably agree that it's great that uh, Matt Ryan is on the move. Um, and that he's now got the opportunity potentially to get regular first team football. Let's hope he's not walking into another situation where he where he could be fighting for his spot or or is a backup. Um, but I, I just wanted to mention this stat with Matt Ryan. So his last three clubs, Arsenal, um, Real Sociedad and Copenhagen, or or in order Copenhagen is last before that Real Sociedad mm. and then before that Arsenal. Now combined in over those three clubs, he made twenty three appearances. Um, which is which is actually mind-boggling when you actually think about it, and and I saw that today when I was when I was doing my research for this pod. Um, it's just quite quite incredible. I mean, twenty-three appearances over three clubs is just not good enough. So, I mean, it's pretty clear he needs to go to a club, and hopefully, AZ is that club where he can play regularly. I mean, the thing with Matt Ryan, unfortunately, is that ever since his Brighton days, he's just been going shopping out to other clubs, as you said, mm. Arsenal, uh, Real Sociedad. And uh, FC Copenhagen now could be Azad Alkmaar. Um, the only issue with Matt Ryan is that he's never been able to solidify a number one spot in goals. He's always been a shafting goalkeeper, like, you know, sort of like an injury replacement goalkeeper, if that makes sense. Um, last season with Real Sociedad was really disappointing. I mean, Real Sociedad have got a good player, but he just couldn't crack. He had no chance practically. I think Ryan only played two of the league games, something like that, one Copa del Rey. So that was very disappointing last season. And, you know, the drama is now with um, FC Copenhagen and Camel Grabara, who, as as we all know, <laughs> oh, the Australian no. public, like, you know, the Australian Santa public. opened. <laughs> <laughs> I've just started something. Oh, no. And I'm caught in the middle, you know, Australian Polish. So I'm just like, who I, <laughs> where do I go? Come on. Come but, on. It's um, pretty It's pretty clear who's, <laughs> who's yeah, in the no, right with this it, one. It, uh, don't want to go off topic, but, you yeah. know, even in Poland, uh, a lot of people don't like, uh, Kemal Grabau's yeah. um, attitude, like he's a very yeah. spoiled kid. But um, speak going back onto Matt Ryan, it is really disappointing to see that he hasn't been able to solidify a number one spot. And this move to RZ Alkmaar, um, I did a bit of research. He's got a 500k euro release clause, so he can just leave for pretty cheap. He doesn't. It's not like a loan sort of thing, 
or like a temporary uh, contract. That, so that's not confirmed yet, obviously, the transfer, but that's what's being reported is what you're saying. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's been reported from a Danish source and uh, also in the Netherlands, uh, the Telegraph. Mm. Um, so we'll see what happens with there. I, I think it's really close to happening um, because, look, I think as they need a replacement. I haven't read too much into it, but I think they need a replacement or some. there's some transfer going on there. Right. Um, I think that, you know, Eredivisie, good league uh, as well. I'm looking at the yep. ladder, you know, as at Alkmaar, they're sitting in fifth position, uh, four points from first. The only issue is that, you know, as we know with Matt Ryan, it's just game time. And I don't know if sometimes you want to be at a club that's doing well and not playing, or do you want to be at a club that's maybe struggling mm-hmm. here and there, but playing week in, week out? That's the sort of situation that Matt Ryan's in. And we all know that Matt Ryan's good. Obviously, let's just, some people are going to say, oh, the Argentina mistake. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so away, it's interesting. But- it's interesting you mentioned that because I think one thing that's hurt Matt Ryan as his career has aged, and this was why he was actually kind of axed and, and outed eventually at Brighton uh, for, for Robert Sanchez, who came in instead. That's when Graham Potter was in charge, was because Sanchez was much better with the ball at his feet. And that suited what Potter wanted to do. And, the, the problem for Matt Ryan is that he just doesn't have the same quality with the ball at his feet. And the way that football is going in the direction it's heading in, it's kind of making not a cold keeper like him redundant. That's that's completely overstating it. But he is a very good shot stopper. But outside of that, he doesn't have that ability to play in a team that's really good playing out from the back and, and wants to play possession football. And I guess we saw evidence of that with the mistake against Argentina. Now, I agree with you, though, in the sense that I don't think people should hold that one mistake to him uh, and, and use that as you know justification for him you know, for not being good anymore and for other keepers in Australia to, to get a nod. I think he is still very much firmly Australia's number one. It's just, look, Matt Ryan, as you said, really good stop, uh, sorry, shot stopper, really mm. good. You know, he can do a lot of saves. Um, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. Like, this is a guy who's captain the country at, at a World Cup, and he's played a lot of World Cups, played, you know, in the Premier League. That That is something. But, unfortunately, his distribution, he's not a possession goalkeeper. He, he you're not mm. a, He's not a goalkeeper that you want to play at the back, do a little, not a manual Neuer to some extent, you know what I mean? But probably that is a... Oh, that's a weakness of Matt Ryan that a lot of teams might exploit or a lot of teams know. Um, so, look, again, in terms of the move to Azad Alkmaar, I think it's positive. Um, good league. You know, not the biggest team in the Netherlands, so what? It doesn't really matter. But the most important thing is obviously that if he plays week in, week out, which we hope coming up uh, with the Asian Cup in Qatar. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on. Now, this is definitely the biggest story. Oh, well, there's probably another one which is which is pretty big as well. But this this in terms of the the magnitude of move is, is pretty is pretty massive. Uh, as is Bayech after a Seller World Cup. Now he is it's very heavily understood that he is uh, very close to completing a, a massive move back to Turkey and to Galatasaray, uh, one of the biggest clubs uh, in Turkey. Actually, probably the biggest club in Turkey. Um, and of course, we've had you know history with Galatasaray and, and the Zocaroos. Of course, Harry Kiel had a stint there. Lucas Neal played there as well back in the day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's a kind of I kind of give him a lot of credit and his agent as well because he's almost taken a step down to go to Scotland and play in Dundee where he's done well and then he carried that form to the World Cup and now he's been rewarded by going back into a bigger league and potentially starting for, you know, one of the one of the biggest clubs in, in Turkey, if not Europe, uh, in Galatasaray. Yeah. And you remember... Uh, after the Japan game, we lost Australia lost two one in uh, Saitama, yeah. and everyone was giving him stick. They should mm. be playing, and even after that game, when we lost, even I think Australia won. It's just oh, get Behij out. Well, you know what? He's proven the haters wrong. He's doing yeah. his stuff. 
Hmm. He might stuff up here and there one of the times, but that game, for example, against Argentina, he actually had a blind over game. Like that, that's one of the best games that I've seen Azerbaijan play in soccer is colors. He almost and gave me a cardiac he, arrest though when he when he when he went on that solo run and almost scored. Um, so <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I might have actually needed like some CPR. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. But look, this is the reward that he's got, and and it's funny because in Dundee United they've been struggling really bad with goals. I mean, not lately, but just at the start as well. Mm. Like, they were losing games. They haven't been able to keep a clean sheet. I mean, I think they lost in the Europa League qualifying. Yeah, I think it was funnily six, enough. To, they lost 6-0 to, to Azad. I think it was 7, maybe, to Azad Alcon, yeah. who, who was the, the club we just discussed with Matt Ryan. So, yeah. yeah. So, you, you can see that, like, this, what, three-month turnaround, four-month turnaround, not even, mm. maybe even two, it's just he's changed his career drastically. And I, I've said on my Twitter, I need to bring it out of the archives, um, you know, do a little search because I recommended Azerbaijan to move uh, to Galatasaray. I thought it was actually possible. I need to find it just to make it out some proof. But <laughs> that in terms of signing for clubs and Australian, for me, that is top 10 uh, football signing wise in this past decade, in my opinion. I, yeah, I, probably, I genuinely possibly, believe yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I genuinely believe that because I've said this on my Twitter that the, sh- the, the sheer dominance, the sheer popularity of Galatasaray, not only in Turkey, but, you know, there's Turkish diaspora in Germany, Australia, mm. and ar- around Europe. When you think of Turkish football, you think of Galatasaray, you see orange and red. And to get a move to a club, this club's also got players like Juan Mata, a few Turkish internationals. I think, I haven't looked at the squad, but they've got another few decent players there. And if Beige can maybe just move there, um, play there week in, week out, it- it's a dream for him as well. I mean, he's Turkish background. As a little kid, I imagine him, you know, just being <laughs> 10 years old and like, oh, dad, I want yeah, to play t- for Turkish Cypriot, one day. Um, as his badge, yeah. 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 So I could just imagine that it's a goal of his to play for such a big club. And this is not only a big club in Turkey, this is a big club in, in the UEFA um, mm. Confederation, you know. Um, and it's just one of the most, the Turk Telecom Arena, one of the most intimidating mm. area uh, stadiums in the world. And for Aziz Beige, personally, I think this would be the icing on the cake in terms of his football career, because he deserves it. He's, you know, he's actually played a lot of Super League Turkish football week in, week out. It's not yeah. like he's been a ghost player. Um, he had a very he, prolonged stint with Istanbul Basakşehir, where he played very regular football for them. And they were they were a club that was kind of on the rise when he was there. Um, for Persaspor as well, he had a good stint there too. So he's, he's, he's very familiar with the Turkish League. And for him, it's kind of, I feel like it's a win-win because he's 32. Um, and if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, he's still going to get paid some good money there, right? Um, so mm-hmm. from that point of view, it's good. And at the end of the day, if he starts, I mean, he's starting for, for a massive club in Turkey. And from from my understanding, and again, I don't follow Turkish football very closely, but Galatasaray have been underperforming a little bit and they need to kind mm-hmm. of, you know, get back up to the top table. So, um, you know, for him to be potentially a part of that is is huge as well. Anything anything else yeah, to add I, on? I, I, I hope Aziz? this happens. Yeah, just just yeah, hope no, it happens. Just, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I hope it happens um, because you know, as I said earlier, you're a ten year old Turkish Australian here. Your dream mm. is not only to play, obviously, you want to play in the Premier League and whatnot, but Galatasaray, Besiktas, uh, mm. those type, those type of clubs that you dream to play of. And I think Asic, despite all the shit that he gets from a lot of people after one or two games, he he really deserves it. And this will be a big, you know, shut up moment. I reckon Asic like. <laughs> You know, to, to all the haters, like, you know, I can actually do this. You know, I'm playing at the top. I'm playing for one of the biggest clubs in the UEFA Confederation. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I hope 
fingers crossed, hopefully he goes through the line. And if he does, that he plays week in, week out. Because, as I said, it's one thing you move there. It's another thing if you play there week in, week out. So, yeah. Yeah, and another guy who we're all hoping, fingers crossed, continues on the trajectory he is and is playing week in, week out. And this is a move that's being touted. I believe, Ian, you've, you've just told me off air before that Fabrizio Romano has come out a couple of hours ago and, and basically confirmed this. Um, of course, if you don't know who Fabrizio Romano is, then, um, you know, I think you've been living under some kind of a massive rock. Um, but, <laughs> you know, Garen Qual, um is the player that we're talking about and it is being being reported and, and pretty much confirmed that he's about to move on loan to Hearts in the Scottish Prem. Now, there's a few reasons why, for me, this is a this is a fantastic move. Um, you know, he's joining a club who has a good track record with Aussies, number one, um, has Aussies there right now who are doing well in Cameron Devlin, Kai Rolls, Nathaniel Atkinson, and who are going to make that environment hopefully very welcoming and, and comfortable for him because this is his first foray into European football. Um, and more to the point, think of the people that he had at the Mariners who could give him the the information to make him prepare. Jason Cummings would be very familiar with with Hearts from, from of course, you know, playing in Scotland all those years that he did. Um, and even Nick Montgomery with his Scottish background um, could could have that information to, to pass on to Garang. So I am really high on this move. I think it's excellent. I think more importantly, though, my my greatest fear with, with Garang has hopefully been, you know, put to bed for now, which was him going to Newcastle and being loaned out to some random league like the Portuguese, <clears throat> you know, second tier or something like that. And they kind of just think of him yeah. as some kind of, you know who cares project thing. I actually think they, I don't want to go say that they think he's like massive or anything like that, but I do think it, for them to loan him out to a Scottish club or, you know, he, he was linked to a championship clubs as well. I think that actually shows that Newcastle do think there is something there with this guy. Um, mm. And whether that's, they think he's going to come back and they can sell him for a massive profit or he's going to come back and, and be involved in their team. Uh, I'm really pleased with, with this move. I just got a question to you, Christian, is that despite the interest from championship clubs, a lot of people are saying that this move is better for him. Do you reckon yep. it's better Hearts or Scottish, uh, Scottish Premiership, or do you reckon the championship would have been a better move? No, I think I I, I agree with that that uh, commentary. I I do think Scott Scotland is a lot better for him, um, because okay. I think the thing with Garang now, look, we've seen it in the A League that he. Physically hasn't had any problems yet, but going to championship level level football at the age of you know eighteen, um, and being that raw is dangerous from a point of view of you know the culture shock from a physical standpoint and not being able to mm. basically hold your own. Um, but also you know what if he goes in there and there's a late challenge, whatever, and he gets taken out and and there could be some kind of ACL long term injury. You know the championship is known for its physical football. Now in saying that. Scotland is not like it's, you know, it's not like it's, you know, uh, um, you know, a non-contact sport, right? In in Scottish Prem, it, it's probably pretty physical as well. But for me, that the big thing is that, you know, it is that track record of Aussies in Scotland, um, and that's that's a that's a big thing, I think. And also, you know, how many players, ha you know, I I don't think going off my Scottish Premiership knowledge, uh, a player like Garang, who's got that kind of direct speed, um, but technical quality in the final third like that. I mean, I know Ange at Celtic has got, you know, uh, Jota and, and some other for a hashi, these guys who are, who are in a different league there. But I mean, for Hearts, this is a different profile of player for them as well that they can use too. So uh, I think it, it suits all parties. And I think uh, it's going to be a really good move. My, 
now my biggest fear is that he doesn't get injured um, and, and is mm. not out for a long period because he's in a peak dele- dele- uh, developmental <laughs> stage. <laughs> my apologies. Uh, and, you know, it, you've got to make the most of it. What do you think of Garanquo? Uh, so just say he plays games at mm. Hearts. Yep. What do you think next season? I mean, it's just too early to to tell right yeah. i mean you just got to see and, and how hearts goes i don't know the thing about newcastle is they're on this you know incredible run at the moment where they're you know they're third in the premier league and it's kind of taking everyone by surprise i don't think that's where they're going to end up um at come the end of the season but i mean it's not like they need you know some some young 18 year old mm. kid to to you know come into their team and and be good they they're pretty sorted in those positions you look at guys like Miguel Amaron who's having an outstanding yeah, yeah. season um for Newcastle as well so i uh, it's just so hard to see long term i think the the thing though that we i think we also got to understand for Garang is that he could go out be really good he could go back and either get loaned out again or he could actually get sold to a club anyway where he will get regular game time. So, yeah. you know, either way, if he does well, there's going to be positive, you know, outcomes as a result of that. So um, mm-hmm. really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Okay, let's move on uh, to the last few. Uh, next one is a guy who <laughs> hasn't really been in the on the radar for a while, but, I mean, he's yeah. Brad Smith is, is who we're going to talk about, um, who, of course... You might remember if you if that name doesn't or does ring a bell. Of course, was on Liverpool's books uh, at one point, and, and Bournemouth as well. Played a few Premier League games here and there, and he's just uh, completed, or he's on the verge of completing. Ian, uh, completed, completed. Ah. This one is completed. So he is uh, gone to Houston Dynamo uh, in the MLS. He's still in America. Um, he had a very successful stint with Seattle Sounders. But my thing with Brad Smith is that he's kind of been bouncing around a little bit in America, and I don't know what the pathway is for him to get back into Socceroo selection. Um, yeah, this is yeah, it's an odd one with Brad Smith because you know he's he's not a bad player. He's hmm. he he's, he he likes going forward as well, um, and you know as he said earlier, success. He's got sorry experience in the Premier League under Jurgen Klopp. I think he was one of the first players in the Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool at the yeah. time, um, and. You know, as I said earlier, Seattle success, and he's spent some time in the MLS, and it's just I don't know because I haven't really seen much of Brad Smith because he did have a pretty bad injury at DC United. It's just when you think of Australia's left back options, no one really thinks of Brad Smith. You think of Aziz Bayich, maybe Jason Davidson, uh, Alex Gersback, even, but Brad Smith isn't on the radar. Who I think, if he plays week in week out in the MLS. It's it's very good because I think the perception of MLS has changed. Mm. Not that I'm, I'm not saying that you know you still have those old 40, uh, 40 year old guys that want to earn a big buck for themselves, but not like back then. I think a lot of the MLS yeah. is now they're getting young talent or they're getting players moving across to Europe. It's now a mini pathway. So for, I'm going to use an example. There's a a Polish player. His name was uh, Przemysław Frankowski. Anyway, he moved from the Polish league to the MLS. And then from the MLS, he moved to um, to France. He's playing League One. He's playing for Len week in, week out. So the MLS mm-hmm. isn't like sort of this retirement league that we're seeing anymore. So I think there's still a chance for Brad Smith to go um, to the next level, to go back to Europe, uh, maybe. Look, I I, 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 I The agree. MLS isn't bad. No, the no, MLS I agree. bad quality. I agree. My thing is, if he was... So he's now... He's 28, right? He's turning 29 this year. So he's really starting to get... He's, he's getting there now, right? And he... Mm. 
like he's he's bouncing around now a couple of clubs in America. So what I'm saying is if he was actually this good after the Seattle stint, he might've actually gone back to Europe, but instead he's kind of been floated around another couple of clubs. And it makes you think, well, it's just, just what he is now. Is he just kind of this maybe MLS journeyman and he might go maybe later in his career, comes back and plays in the A-League. I don't know, something like that. But I think for him, Maybe it's this Houston move for him. That's a that's a massive, you know, kind of make or break it where he has to try and, you know, do really well at Houston, you know, show that he can, you know, compete in Europe again. Because at, at his best, he was a good left back and he was, he provides a really good attacking outlet. Yeah. Um, that, that is something he does really well. And he's got a massive engine, uh, if I remember, you know, very much so when he was playing in the Socceroos and, and featuring more regularly in those squads. So interesting one there. Okay. Um, one that's yeah, probably probably could have been um higher up on this, but A1 Mobile. Uh he's finally left his situation at uh Cadiz uh in Spain and he's joined Sparta Prague in Czech Republic. Now, this is a really interesting move. Um but the the Cadiz stint um was just quite bizarre, wasn't it? Because uh, I remember he actually had his unveiling for that for uh yeah. Cadiz <laughs> here in Adelaide, uh where I am, and that was really weird because if a club's going to do that, you know, and unveil a player in his own city, you'd think that means he's going to be, you know, a massive part of their plans. But it just hasn't turned out that way at all. I mean, he's only made, for Cadiz, he only made six appearances and he averaged 40 mm. minutes per game. Um, So, I mean, that's just, for a player of Alan Bill's quality, and we know how well he can play, it's just not good enough. And you saw at the World Cup, and particularly in the Tunisia game, I felt when he came off the bench, he looked so out of it um, and just not mm. up to speed with what was going on. Um, and I think Awa is, you know, we know some of the stuff he does. He's such an inspirational figure. He really can be as well um, for for a lot of the African-Australian footballers that we have uh, here in the country. And it, it'd be really good for him and to get a smile back on his face and to really find some form uh, with Sparta Prague. So it's, it's going to be interesting, this one. I'm just worried that, you know, with Awa Mobile, it's a bit like Matt Ryan, where he just hasn't made a lot of appearances for his clubs mm. um, the past few years. Um, I think... So last season got loaned out to Turkey, played a few games there, and he's just been a he's been in a lot of countries in Europe. He's been in Portugal, Denmark, um, now Czech Republic, Spain. It's just he's a bit of a journeyman now, which isn't really what we want. Um, obviously, you know, it's great to see him in other leagues, but we want him to be playing week in week out. And I think, as you said earlier, Abel Mabil in the Tunisia game wasn't good. I think that's due to the fact that he hasn't been playing week in week out. For me, Abel Mabil is a player that has to be playing regularly. He's uh, he's just on his day, when he's match fit, he's a really good winger. But just when he's not onto it, when he's making these 10-minute sub-appearances, five-minute sub-appearances, yeah. that's not the A1MB we know. We know how good A1MB is when he's going one-on-one. He's got good pace. And, he, you know, he, he's, a, he's an exciting player. When he's on the ball, you, you know, you can get a bit excited. Absolutely. I mean, we saw, look, we saw, I know it was only, you know, friendly against New Zealand and stuff, but we saw the goal he scored, obviously, there um, in, in the Socceroos friendlies back in September on limited game time what he could do there so when he's at you know when he's playing week in week out he's, he's got that quality I think for Awa what the turning point in his career was probably leaving Michelin um, because yeah. he was a massive player there I mean that the fans loved him uh, I actually listened to a podcast a while back now I think it's oh I want to call it the Danish football podcast uh, I just want to make sure I, I credit these guys uh, with this but the the English guy who runs that podcast did an interview with Awa kind of a tell-all about his experience in Denmark and he found it really hard actually like kind of you know when he was out of the team and things like that so you can imagine how hard he would have taken it when he actually left um, and you know that's 
that can't be easy. And for him to then not really find his feet elsewhere, um, it would, would be disappointing. So definitely for Awa, hopefully he can find his feet in Sparta Prague. Um, interestingly, Ian, um, you know, Thomas Rosicki is in, in charge a lot of the uh, kind of recruitment, the Arsenal legend at Sparta Prague. And, and what, again, can mm. you just regurgitate what he kind of said about Awa as well and what he's looking forward oh. to, to seeing from him? Well, I don't have it word for word in me, but he yeah. did mention that, that the coach uh, that he had at Michelin worked together. They worked together sorry, at the, during at the time in Denmark. Um, so he's obviously seen that maybe yeah. AWA works best with him. Maybe there's a, a style that, that suits each other. Maybe, you know, he wants to play AWA more on the wide. or So we'll see if that if the coach knows AWA's qualities, then that's great because mm. that can lead on to the sense that AWA can play week in, week out. And, you know, Thomas Rosicki was like, yeah, we've seen qualities of him. So, you know, you know, uh, you, you get that everywhere, I guess, when a player signs. But it just feels really mm. good and humbling for AWA and for the Australian public to get those uh, nice words from a Czech football legend. And, you know, Sparta Praha is, is a weird one. Not Sorry, no weird one, but, you know, they're one of the top, you could say top three, top four clubs in the Czech Republic. And to be a top big, a big club in your country is always a nice, mm. nice thing to have. Obviously, you've got Victoria Pilsen. And, you know, they're in the Champions League, Victoria Pilsen. It's not like the, everyone's saying, oh, maybe Farmers League or whatnot. But the Czech, Czech Republic like the league as well. They've got a team in the Europa League, a conference league as well. Yeah. Champions League, Victoria Pilsen. Yeah, so they've, this isn't like a farmer's league, but I'm not, I'm not saying that. Maybe, obviously, you know, your lower tier, yeah, fair enough. But, you know, I mean, teams, but, but I mean, Ian, look, we just spoke about Bayesh before, right? Sometimes you have to kind of maybe go to a weaker league to re- regain your confidence, regain your form. And then, you know, maybe for Awa, it's a case of going to Sparta Prague, getting some game time, scoring some goals, building up a bit of confidence. And then who knows, Cadiz might see that. He goes back there and, and could get hmm. some more minutes there. You know, that's, that's a, a massive, you know, prediction to make. And, and it, it, at the moment, it's hard to see that, but um, hopefully it can work out for him. Okay, last one, um, Masmo Luongo, um, who's had a really interesting, you know, two, three years um, in his career, to be honest. Had a really kind of bizarre stint at Sheffield Wednesday where he was injured a lot, but then when he actually played, was really good. Um, and then the fans were kind of always frustrated that he was injured. And then it was just, it's just a, a mm. weird one there. And then has a, really short stint at Middlesbrough where uh, I don't know for whatever reason why that, why that didn't, didn't work play. out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now he's going to have a crack again at Ipswich, which, um, you know, he, he's back at that club after a loan stint he had uh, back in 2012. Uh-huh. So almost, you know, pretty much 10 years ago now uh, when he was on loan there from Tottenham, of course, because as we know, Masmo Luongo was on Tottenham's books as a youngster. So, I mean, g- give us maybe a little bit of a, Spear went to, you know, we just, I mentioned the Middlesbrough stuff there. What happened there with, with Luongo and I guess what can we hope for him with, with this move? Well, one thing I saw <clears throat> prior um, to posting on the social, obviously, was I had a bit of the news, even like the local papers of Middlesbrough and whatnot. And um, the current coach at Middlesbrough is Michael Carrick, uh, former yeah. Manchester United legend. And he said in a press conference very clearly that. No, he didn't say the name, obviously, Luongo, but he said that there will be players being shifted out first week of January, and it was very likely that Luongo would go because he just wasn't in Carrick's plans whatsoever. And look, it's very weird because Massimo Luongo, we know, we've seen, you know, the Glory Days Asian Cup 2015. What a tournament he had! Mm-hmm. He was player um, of the tournament, but ever since then, it's just been I don't know injuries, lack of game time. He's just I don't know. I, I, I sorry, sorry. Like if I sound really bland and boring, but I just can't make most much about Massimo Luongo. It's just 
I don't really have much the, to the, say the, about him. It's just the bizarre thing about Luongo's career is that it seems that he's peaked at 23 um, in 2015 yeah. with the Asian Cup, and that's that's just bizarre, right? Um, so, and that happens to certain players, of course. Um, and for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to carry that form on. I think a lot of people felt, you know, he had a very long stint with QPR. Um, and a lot of people felt yeah. maybe after the Asian Cup that this was a guy who's playing in England. Okay, surely at some point he's going to get some Premier League move and he can play regular football there, uh, you know, like an Aaron Moy did, for example, um, like that. But it just hasn't worked out. Um, and the injuries have played a massive part in that. Um, and um, unfortunately, that's that's usually the case with players who kind of peak at a young age is that injuries usually hold them back. So, I mean, look, He's going to give it a crack. We know that, um, and we know that he's still he's still quality player when he plays. So I hope that this this move can still work out for him. Yeah. Ian. And um, sorry, Christian. Like moving on to another transfer uh, rumor that could potentially be happening. I know you didn't have this on the list. Here's a bonus. Um, here's a bonus. Oh, yeah. Here's a bonus one. Uh, Opta Sport have said uh, that Harry Suter to Leicester uh, is. Uh, I did. I did see that somewhere else reported. I don't remember off the top yeah. of my head, but yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Harry Suter's definitely one to watch in this window. Um, after we know, I mean, mm. it wasn't just Australian fans who were picking up on it. I mean, global fans were really noticing Harry Suter's performances in the World Cup. He was absolutely fantastic. So, um, and and dare I say, Leicester is definitely a club that could probably do with some defensive reinforcement at the moment as well, Ian. So you know, that's yeah. There were, pardon me, there, I know that there were some clubs interested in the Premier League. So West Ham, Aston mm-hmm. Villa, Everton, and now Leicester. And it looks like Leicester just came out of nowhere. I think Everton was really close from what I know. I think Aston Villa and West Ham were like, you know, the really startup points. But less just the interest from Leicester are shot out randomly. And mm. it's interesting to see because <clears throat> Harry Suda, <laughs> he, had, he obviously had a good World Cup, but... Well, <clears throat> When was the last time an Australian played in the Premier League? An outfield player, Aaron Moy, was it? Aaron hey. Moy, of course, yeah. Wow. Well, <clears> well, in terms of in terms of a player that I can remember very, very clearly as starting week in week out and playing well, it's definitely Aaron Moy. Yeah. Oh, sorry, it just came back to my head. Uh, Tyrese Francois, he played three minutes uh, for Fulham. Right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Sorry. And, yeah. And... <laughs> sorry for the for the Andy House. Yeah. Sorry for the Andy House slash Matt Olsen. Sorry. Um. But yeah, look, Harry Suter to Leicester, fantastic signing. And I think Australia doesn't have, ever since Tim Cahill left, there hasn't been a player that the whole of Australia has gone into. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. with Tim Cahill, the average AFL NRL fan knew, yeah, knew Tim Cahill, yeah. that he yeah. played He played soccer. He played soccer. <laughs> um, he played for the Socceroos and he was on the Wheat Leaks ads and whatnot. Yeah. And I think since then, Australia hasn't really had that global sort of salient image of Australian football. Whenever you, you talk to someone about Australian football, they think Tim K or Tim K. Mm. And with Harry Suter possibly moving to the Premier League, and if he plays, obviously, fingers crossed, then Harry Suter can have this impact that Tim K had. Maybe not to the extent, but this... That's you think a of big Australian call. Football, Harry Suter. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. big no, call. I really think so. Yeah, really. Because he's a good defender. He's, he's And, you know, everyone will know him because he's tall. You can give that... No, I think, I think he well. definitely has that. I think a lot of people kind of have got this... I don't know, love affair with him a little bit because he just comes across as a lovable guy. I mean, he, he's very well-spoken, I think, as well. There's that. But also, it's like that Scottish-Australian um, 
kind of link, I think, as well, where it's like this this savior defender who's who's come out of nowhere from Scotland for us, and and that that, that sort of narrative yeah. too. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, the other thing is, like you said, he, he's massive, so um, I think a lot of people <laughs> just naturally get around that. <laughs> no, yeah. but and also, look, maybe I, maybe I was over exaggerating with the whole Tim Cahill, you know, popularity thing, but I think that Suta can be that next um person showing football look, where we all young. think of yep. him, even like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, playing Premier League is going to attract all those Euro snobs from Optus Sport, for example. <laughs> you know, the ones that that comment, "Oh, A League shit, whatever." But um, <laughs> you know, if if Harry Suter can play week in week out in the Premier League, um, you know, it, it only takes one game to to please an international audience in the Premier League. It only takes one game to see, oh, okay, you've got a lot of viewers um, watching him. So yeah. best of luck. Hopefully it does move because I think Stoke. No offense to Stoke, but I don't think that is the level where Harry Suter should be. Yeah, no, no, I actually, I agree. Uh, I think the the World Cup performances were evidence of that. Okay, that's going to wrap up um, this podcast. Thanks once again to Spirit FC manager, uh, David Perkovich. Absolutely fascinating chat um, and really interesting to get an insight into how that club's going at the moment, but also him as a manager, his, his tactical insight um, and also, you know, his time in the Philippines, things of this nature. Great to have David on. So thanks once again to him. Um, and uh, thanks, Ian, for for joining me on this one to talk a little bit about the transfers as well. Transfer season, of course, stay tuned for any updates as well on, on Front Page Football. Um, of course, our website, frontpagefootball.net. Stay tuned for articles on there and socials too. So Front PG Football on Twitter and Instagram and look up front page football for facebook as well all right and of course this podcast don't forget to go check out some of uh, our other podcasts we've got a front page dub a league woman podcast going on at the moment too so check that one out as well and of course our front page football mini podcast too so we'll be back with that one for this week's fixture in the a league which i can't remember off the top of my head i think it's macarthur versus someone this is i can't remember i can't remember but we will have the mini returning <laughs> on on friday night after game a league man on friday and uh it'll be it'll be up on saturday morning so anyway uh that'll do for this podcast and uh, you can listen to us the next one soon 